on talking to your kids about difficult things and, you know, what's involved with that. And so we have been, we've talked about, uh, kind of set up the whole thing the, the first week. Then we talked about sexuality in week two and then uh, drugs and alcohol last week. And then today we're going to talk about dating. And, then, and at the end of that, we'll open it up for questions to, on any of the topics we've discussed over the last few weeks as well. So in order to do that, I kind of want to get you in the mindset. Remember, we are far removed from being a teenager. Most of us, yes. Um, and so you may have forgotten what that was like to be a teen and to try to date and stuff. And there's a lot of things in media that can help us with that. So one thing is a movie. I want to show you a movie clip called from a movie that's out right now called The Edge of 17. Now, this is an R-rated movie. Um, I have not seen the movie. I have seen the clip. But the clip kind of shows you a lot of things that, that can give you insight into today's teen world for sure. Okay, so uh, go ahead and we're going to show, show a portion of that, of that clip just to kind of set us up here. Busy. Prime the pump as we get ready to talk. I'm going to kill myself. I just thought that an adult should know. Wow. Well, actually, I was writing my own suicide note just now. I have 32 fleeting minutes of happiness during lunch, which has been eaten up again and again by the same especially badly dressed student. And I finally thought I would rather have the dark nothingness. There are two types of people in the world. The people who naturally excel at life. Golden boy, what's up? And the people who hope all those people die in a big explosion. Look at that stupid shirt my brother's wearing. When I was 13, it was clear which side of the equation I was on. Best friends are for. Nick is like right there. God, Juby made him so hot. And I had Krista. Krista! Oh my god! My brother? Seriously? I can't help how I feel. You turn into a completely different person. Why don't you try being positive? Mom, I'm gonna write down the next thing you're gonna say. I'm not playing your little games, Nadine. Congratulations. You have all the answers, don't you? No. Which is why I wish I had a mother who would notice. When I was younger, so what did I do to make such a perfect kid, huh? Today, I never knew I'm having a problem today, Nadine. Several. I don't really have any friends at the moment. Life isn't fair sometimes, Nadine, okay? You gotta get over it. Life's about taking risks. Don't be afraid to put yourself out right, there. Mark, cut it. Okay. I, now, interestingly, I had him cut it because even in the trailer, there's some inappropriate things that at church you probably don't want in your head right before you go into the worship service. So we're going to do that because she, she accidentally sexed the guy that she's texting, you know, in a sexual way, the guy that she is getting ready or that she has a crush on. And she's just doing it like... She doesn't plan on sending it, but she accidentally hits send. And so, like, then there's a whole scene about that coming up next. Now, when you, when you see a movie like this, does it, you know, are you ready for this with your teenage son or daughter, this kind of life? And are they ready for this? It's one of the questions, you know, as you think about coaching your teenager as they move into high school and what, what that's going to be like. Now, I don't want to say, of course, this may not be your teen's reality, right? But this is some teen's reality. Like a lot of the things in this movie are very real. 
can give you insight as you're moving into those years to watch that, especially depending on where you're at. Uh, and this is a little unorthodox in the way that I approach, but like when my kids, they went to a private Christian school, they were homeschooled when they were little, and so very much in a very protected bubble. I would actually, like a movie like this, now I would probably watch it first, but then I might actually sit down with my son before you know high school and watch it with him and say, okay, this is what it's going to be like. This is what you're, you know, and you could say, wow, that's, that's a coarse movie. There's some rough language. There's sexual situations. There's rough language and sexual situations in high school, right? I mean, that is the reality of where they're going, okay? And so again, are we protecting them from it or are we equipping them to live in that world? And that's a question you need to ask yourself. To just watch a movie like that for entertainment, you might do that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's between you and the Lord. But I would watch a movie like that for research, okay? And I do because I'm in youth ministry. So I, I, that's the kind of thing that I would do. I'd watch that to try to say what are, what's trending. And this is even things like when you watch a movie like that, how are the parents portrayed? How does teen culture view parents' interaction? I mean, you only saw a little tiny bit there, right? But it was already setting up that sh- the parent, the mom was completely unhelpful, right, for everything that she was going through. You don't want to be that mom, right? You want to be engaged and helpful as you go through that. So anyway, I I set that up. We've got some questions Mark's going to put up on the screen, and we want you to go ahead and and, uh, get back into your teen uh, mindset for what it was like when you were younger, uh, and uh, start talking about this, and then we'll come up in just a little while. So talk amongst yourselves. All right. If you can wrap it up, we'll uh, go ahead and move on in our in our discussion, I hope, I hope that was interesting, informative. I know, like, in the group that I was talking to, like, it went all the way from, you know, grew up in India where men and women were completely segregated to ah, no rules at all, pretty much, you know, <laughs> started out flying blind completely. Um, and probably there's a wide range of interaction that we had with our own parents, right, growing up. Um, I know for me, I don't remember, I'm sure my parents talked to me about some stuff, but I've I was pretty much figuring it out. My brother was a hellion before me. And so I think whatever I did, my parents were like, ah, he's fine. You know, because my brother caused so much, so much trouble. And I was the baby. My parents were probably really tired by the time I came around. Um, so as we get into dating, though, dating is a very difficult subject to talk about in uh, the church context. Because, you know, I always try to take whatever we're talking about and filter it through the scripture and try to equip you with that. So what does the Bible say about dating? If you want to have the biblical dating mandate, right, where are you going to go? Where are you going to turn? Where's the proof text for dating? Uh, I'm here to, you know, you're, you're going to be excited to know it. it is there. It's in Genesis uh, 24, right? Uh, they go to find Isaac, a wife. So you send your servant to a far land, find your uncle, See if he's got a daughter. And of course, uh, the servant says, oh, Lord, when I go to this spring, I pray that a young virgin will come and draw water. And I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And she will say to me, drink, and I'll draw for your camels also. And let her be the woman who the Lord has appointed for my master's son. So she does this. And then he puts a ring on her nose and bracelets in her arms. So he gives her a little nose ring, throws some bracelets on her, goes and talks to her parents. And of course, they are overjoyed and say, this thing has come from the Lord. We can't speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebecca's before you. Take her and go. 
and to be your, the master's wife, okay? Right? I, I was thinking about this. It's not a bad way to go. I pull into QT, and a young virgin comes up and says, can I put gas in your car and get you a Dr. Pepper? That's the one that I'm going to take home to Jace, right? Wouldn't that be great if that's the way this all worked? Okay, but it's just not that easy. Um, so where do you go when it comes to this kind of thing? Uh, I think the key, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we are going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians 7. So if you want to go to 1 Corinthians 7, it's going to be on the screen. The key is to teach your kids to treat their date as if they are protecting their date's future spouse. Okay, and let me unpack that a little bit. Uh, so starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, this is Paul uh, writing to the church at Corinth. He says, Now concerning the matters which I, of which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. All right, we're with him so far, right? We're like, yeah, go Paul. Now, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concern, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul's referring to the fact that he's single. In verse 8, he kind of says that plainly. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay. So we're going to, I want to point out like three things here, give you an illustration, and then we're going to, I'm just going to do some random things in no particular order about dating that we need to keep in mind. All right, so the first one from this is, and we we mentioned this when we talked about sexuality, but singleness is affirmed and promoted in this passage. And if you read all of 1 Corinthians 7, Paul has a very high view of singleness, okay? So first off, we need, as the church, and I'm talking to myself more than you here, the church needs to do a better job of saying singleness is a good thing, and it's a positive thing, and it's even seen as a gift. I know most single people start scoffing when you say that it's a gift. But, but singleness is not, doesn't make you a second-class citizen. But in the church, we have made it that. So we need, to, we need to move away from that. And your child in high school is probably going to be single anyway. So you want to promote that. And they might be single. Guys, statistics are showing, especially girls, are going to be single farther and farther on as the, the good pool of guys shrinks smaller and smaller and smaller that you need to prepare them for that. I mean, that is a possibility that you may have a child who's called to singleness for their life, okay? So wrap your mind around that and think about how you're going to uh, encourage them in that walk, depending on how long that walk is, right? Or it may be forever. So that's one thing. Second thing, and I want to just remind you, my job in Parent You is not always to give you the answer, but to make you think, and to make you talk with your spouse or, or, your, you know, or to think deeply about these things if you're a, a single parent or to talk with your spouse if you're married. How are you going to deal with these things, okay? So the second thing is it's better to marry than to burn with passion, okay? Um, 
And he says that, you know, if you, if you can't control yourself and show self-control, go ahead and get married. The average age, I looked at this several years ago, so it might even be later, but it was 30 for guys and 29 for women in getting married in, today, in America today, okay? Now think of how, how later, how much later that has gotten over and over and over again. The chance of being, of going without having sex until you're 30, it's a pretty hard road. I'm not saying it's not possible, and certainly you're capable of doing that at, through, by God's grace, right? And if you're under, you know, living in victory through the Lord, working in and through you. But the pressure we put on, if you're like, yeah, I want my kid to go through college and then grad school, and then I'll support them getting married, you might want to just rethink that, okay? What, would you rather have them go into that marriage with a whole bunch of baggage of, you know, different things that could happen sexually, or would you rather them get married younger and even support them going through college married? Think about that. That's just a question. I don't know the answer for you, but I want to throw it out there that we are kind of buying into the culture of saying, yeah, get married at 30, when maybe we should be going, oh, you want to get married at, at 22 or 20, you know, and, and that might be the choice for them. It does work out occasionally, right, that you get married early. Um, my wife was 18 when we got married, so just to shock you a little bit, okay? <laughs> so it can work, all right? Um, so I'm throwing that out there. Now, but the, the, the main thing that I wanted to address in this passage is, is, the, other, is the, the last part, which is if you look at verse 4, he says, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So when we talked about sexuality, we talked about holy sexuality and the idea that a person who is, um, when you... Following the, the biblical model, you know, like at what, we're, what we're aiming for with our kids, right, is that they would be married to God, right, as they're single, and then they would have one person, and that, that would be in a covenant relationship where that, that wholeness would take place, you know, in that. And so there, the Bible speaks about you belong, I belong to God, because he made me, and then he died for me, right, as a Christian, but then I also belong to my wife, This passage says that I belong to her, and she belongs to me. And this is speaking specifically in this area about physically, right? But we already talked about this, again, a couple weeks ago, in that sex is more than just a physical act, right? There's a spiritual component. There is a spiritual, physical thing going on uh, with us that God created that's beautiful in in design, right? In the the context of a covenant relationship, it's it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And so you belong to your spouse. Your spouse belongs to you. And so this idea, if we can get this to, over to our kids to say, when, when you're dating someone, the chance that you will marry that person, especially if it's in high school, there's a 98% chance they will not marry their high school sweetheart. 2% of people who are dating in high school end up getting married. Okay? So 98% chance against that being their ultimate their spouse okay so probably what that means is they're dating someone else's spouse how are they protecting that other person they would want someone to protect their spouse right if they're someone that means someone else is dating their future spouse probably and they're going to want that to happen let me illustrate this way if i if if you came in uh 
here, and, and I, or let's say I was having a dinner party, and I invited all of you to come, and you come into my house, and we got the coffees out, and at, at each place setting, there is a cupcake, okay? You know those fancy cupcakes, like the really nice ones, the red velvet, and the chocolate chip, and the peanut butter, or what chocolate, and all these other kinds? You probably had one of those fancy cupcakes at some point. So if there's a cupcake on every table, and you guys get there, and I, let's say I'm busy in the back, and I'm doing something, and you guys sit down, and you're having some coffee, and there's that cupcake in front of you, how are you going to handle that? What are you going to do? Well, you might taste it. If uh, a friend's there, you might say, oh, you got to try this one. You might share it at the table. You might eat the whole thing, because you're thinking, oh, man, this is, this is great. And so you might trade with somebody, right? All these different things could happen with this cupcake. Now, then I come in in the middle and I say, hey, by the way, I am a world-renowned chef, pastry chef, and I have a file on each one of you, and I know everything about your likes and dislikes, and I have designed a cupcake exactly for you that perfectly fits your palate and what you like and don't like. It is designed specifically for you. But the guy who set up the party put out the cupcakes before y'all got here, and I didn't know you were here yet. And so you guys are all sitting in the wrong seats. If you look on the bottom of the, of the wrapper, you'll see the names. So now I want you to, but see, you, so what, what are you thinking right now? You're a little bit upset, or I would be. Oh, no. Okay, so I had this cupcake, but it's not the one that was designed for me. It's not the one that had the perfect flavor that was made just for what I need, right? It wasn't, it wasn't the one made just for me, Okay. And it was not your fault because you were doing what? You were just going by what you feel. You were going by your taste. You were trading. You know, it was all really about you and what was happening. You weren't making a decision based on what the chef decided, right? Now, that's how we view sexuality, right? We, when most of us, when we date, we are, I date because I want to. I will choose to, to be with whoever I want because they make me feel nice or they make me feel uh, worth something or they, they, uh, it feeds a desire in me, just like a desire for that cupcake. But now think how different it would be if when you got there, I said, oh, you're all in the wrong seats, but there's a cupcake on each table, and I went through that, that is specifically designed especially for you. Now, how do you treat that cupcake? I mean, you're going to make sure it doesn't fall on the floor. You're going to start walking around the room going, okay, who's got mine? I've got, you know, I've got this one. And, and who has mine? Because you don't want anybody messing with yours, right? And you're not going to mess with the one that you have. Because you know that that one is specifically for somebody else. And it's special. Okay, I think if we can get this idea across, and you can start when they're young, right? Talking about this. And saying, how are you treating this person? Because, see, that's what flips the whole dating. I don't know what your rules for dating are going to be. I want to give you principles to think about dating that no matter what your rules are, that the principles are coming across so that they are saying, oh, I'm going to treat the person that I date with such respect because I know they belong to God and they belong to their future spouse. And that may or may not be me. But if their name's not on the bottom of the cupcake wrapper, <laughs> right, you want to hold, that, hold them in such respect that you are ready 
to hand them off. You want that person to write you a letter. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing if you got a letter from the, the, your high school sweetheart's husband or wife in the future, writes you and says, I just want you to know that the way you invested in and the way you treated my wife when she was in high school did so much to prepare them for me. Wouldn't that be amazing if that's the kind of of coaching that we gave our kids, that it's not about me when I date. It's not to feed something in, in my desires. It's really, and, and, and uh, uh, Matt Brinkley put it this way. He called it, he had an acronym. He said, a date is a divine appointment to edify. Okay, like if, if your whole purpose in dating is to edify that other person, okay, you, you are selfless enough to enter into a relationship. And maybe that's part of your litmus test with your child. When it comes to dating, it's not, oh, just when you turn 16, it's not just when, you know, you're 18 or whatever your rules end up being, but it's, oh, when I can see in you that you are selfless and you are so pursuing the Lord and what he has for you that I know that you have the person you're dating's best interest in mind. That's what, then you're ready to date and that you're submitted to the Lord in this area of your life. Okay. If that's your litmus test, you're gonna, your, your son or daughter is probably going to be a lot better off when they move into the dating world, okay? Um, I'm going to hit a few things in no particular order, and then we'll open it up to questions. Um, other things to consider. Texting and Snapchat have completely changed the dating landscape, okay? The internet, cell phones, when I was young, you know, people had to call. The gatekeeper was mom, right? She was there. Who is this wanting to talk to my son? Uh, you know, so you don't have that anymore, those are things that you just have to be aware of and how to navigate that. We could probably have a whole parent you maybe just on that one issue. But, so, but it does change it. You want to be on the front end when your child gets a device. It's my, I'd had a conversation with somebody just yesterday about this. Okay, It's my device. I pay for it. I have the passwords. You can, I always pull out my phone and go, hey, you can look at my phone whenever you want. I can look at your phone whenever you want. Because you know what? They don't want to look at my phone. I'm a boring old guy, right? So I know I can kind of play that card and they really don't care. But then I can play my card for the rest of their teenage world, okay? If you know your kid's heart and know where they're at, you want to protect them on a level. But obviously the best thing is to know who they are, know their heart, know what's driving them. That's the best protection. And we could, we could go into that more. Uh, I do want to let you know that dating, one of the alarming things for me and my staff, as we've seen this over the years, sexting makes kids get down the road sexually much faster than it used to, okay? It used to be you would go on dates, you wouldn't see the person very often, you'd talk on the phone a little bit, but because you can say something with anonymity in a text, there's not as much attached to it. It can take you there virtually, and you start going through barriers in your mind much faster so that when they're together physically, it's much faster as well. So I want you to be aware of that. It is alarming, and you want to talk to your kids about it before they get a phone or when they get a phone. Second thing, don't be unequally yoked. Most of you are aware of that. That passage is in uh, 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, missional dating is not a good idea. I'm not saying it hasn't worked out for some people, and it may have worked out for you. But there's a whole host of people who have married somebody who is not a believer, and they will tell you probably down the road that it wasn't a really good idea and that it's uh, very difficult. Uh, those people don't have the same priorities. So if you're dating a non-Christian and your child's a Christian, then automatically they're dating somebody who does not have the same, you know, hardwiring, the same values as what they do. And that's going to be an issue. Um, what is the line? Your kids are going to want to know, uh, how far can I go physically? 
What's the line? One thing that we teach in Watershed, and I would encourage you to do the same, is to say, you know, when is it in the Bible that God's like, hey, here's a sin. I just want you to know that there's a line that is sin. And when, when does God ever go, if this is the line, I want you to get as close as you can to sin. Okay? But that's, that is the one area. There may be other areas, but that area especially, people are all about that. I want to know where the line is because I want to get as close to it as I can. Well, eventually what happens, you know this, they will cross the line and then they just draw a new one and then they'll cross that line and they draw a new one. But here's what's interesting. If you have a boy and a girl and they go that way and they keep dating and they keep crossing these lines and then they break up, maybe they haven't gone all the way to sex. Here's what's interesting. When they date the next person, that's the new line and they take that next person right to there and that's the new stop sign that they both now have moved to, and then they go through that. You know what I'm saying? And you know where it leads to. Ultimately, it will lead to intercourse uh, eventually. So you want to talk to them about that. Stay away from the line. Don't get as close as you can to it. Okay? That's not uh, where God wants us to go. Um, When they think they're in love, how do you talk to them without belittling them? This is where you got to put on your own... Pat, I I will tell you this. It is not going to get you down the road to go, you just don't understand. You're not really in love right now. These feelings aren't real, and I know better than you. What you have done when you do that is you've shut down all conversation from now on. Mom is not safe. Dad is not safe. They're just going to lecture me. And starting off with you just don't know and you don't understand, and you will later when you're older, that's just... I would just encourage you, try to avoid that. Ask questions. Move into uh, that realm. Listen. Because those feelings for them at that moment, that's what you need to do. You need to validate those feelings. Not saying that you encourage the relationship, but you need to validate that the feelings are real. Okay? So that's uh, just a little aside there. If you have boys, challenge your men to be the pursuers in a dating relationship. Okay? Because they're moving into a world, again, as the... As the, guy, the pool of guys gets smaller, and the reason, there are reasons for that we can go into, but the pool of guys gets smaller that the girls uh, get more aggressive because the, the competition, right? The law of supply and demand. As the supply of good guys goes down, the demand gets higher, the girls get more aggressive, and they are very aggressive in high school now. And so they, can, they will be the ones calling and pursuing. I remember years ago, we had a, a really handsome student move in to be his freshman year, and within the first three months, he had five girls texting him all the time, day and night, okay? So you want to keep that in mind. Last thing is, uh, do you want your child's, if, if you're saying, and I'll, I'll say this about Watershed, okay? If your kids are involved in Watershed here at Perimeter, I will say that I don't, we don't have a huge dating culture at Perimeter, I don't know if it's Perimeter Christian School and the homeschooling. I don't know what the combination is. But I will tell you that there are many, many students in Watershed that don't date at all. They just kind of are like, eh, it's not really real until college anyway. So, and they just kind of bypass it. Um, not at all my high school experience, but a, that, that is the culture of Perimeter. And so a lot of you might go, oh, yes, cool. My kids are involved. They're just not going to date, and they don't have to deal with it, which is true, and it can be really nice. But on the other hand... Do you want your child's first dating experience to be when they're hundreds of miles away from you at a public university? Okay? That's the flip side. That might be the scenario. Now with cell phones, they can still call you and you can still interact with them and so on. 
But at least when they're home, you're there to coach. You're there to guide. You're there to put barriers up and say what time they got to be home. You're there to say you need to get off your phone, you know. So all of those factors are in play when they are in your home, okay? So if, if, you're, if your strategy is put it off until they're in college and then I don't have to deal with it, just keep that in mind. Then you probably won't deal with it ever because they'll be figuring it out on their own in college. And they will have more maturity, which... The, you know, you hope that they're more mature and able to, to make better decisions, and there's some truth to that for sure. But you just want to keep that in mind as well. Okay, so there's some practical stuff. Let me open it up to questions uh, just for about five minutes or so before Cammy gets up. Anybody got any questions? And they can be about any of the stuff we've talked about as well. They don't, uh, the last few weeks, it doesn't have to be just about dating. Yes? You know, that is a great question. I. W- she said, do we talk about sex much with students? It, I will say yes and no. I'll say it depends, okay? The, uh, I don't think we talk about it near enough because the church, the culture is speaking about it 24-7 in music and movies and commercials and everything. And the church is kind of, oh, do we really want to, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable. And so I'd say if your kids are in a good uh, accountability group or a good discipleship group, they should be talking about it more often. The curriculum doesn't cover it as often as we probably should. Uh, again, we feel like you should be talking about it, but I don't think the church should be silent. We should talk about it more often as well um, as, a, as a youth staff. And so, so we do talk about it. Like with my, I have a group of guys, juniors and seniors, that we talk about this stuff all the time, um, but it's more of an accountability group. So a lot of it depends. I would encourage, if you have a relationship with your child's D group leader, to encourage them to talk about it. Um, that is, see, often it's the opposite. Sometimes when, when D group leaders engage in this, the parents feel kind of like, whoa, whoa, you're talking about sex with my kid? You can't do that. You know, I would encourage them if you, if you, you know, know your D group leader and, and invest in them and you want someone engaging in, along the same lines as you, right? Enforcing, reinforcing the same values and stuff that you have and having that open conversation with your kids. Yes. Yes, what she said is that, can the whole group hear the same message? Absolutely, yes. And we, uh, we probably should talk about sex more than we do. I will say that. I will agree with you. Yes. Yes. That is true. We, we are trying to talk about relationships as a whole and not just sexuality as well. Yes. Other questions? Yes. Yeah, the question is, do you talk to your boy and girl at the same time? I, that's a wisdom issue. I don't know that, I mean, we have boy, girl, boy, girl. Our kids, whenever we want to talk about sex, kind of plug their ears and, you know, nah, 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 nah. They, they, they kind of freak out a little bit, even, uh, even so. I try to say sex as often as I possibly can. Yeah, just, it still freaks them out a little bit, but yeah. I do think you need to have conversations at age-appropriate levels over and over again as they're, as they're getting older. And, um, and I don't think, you know... I do think it can be easy, make them feel more comfortable if it's, if it's one-on-one rather than uh, together. But Probably both. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. yeah. Other questions? Yes. Talking about sexuality or about dating, period? Um, I think that just depends on the family. It depends on your media consumption. It depends on are your kids in public, private, or... Uh, see, I have the benefit of... I have kids in all, right, in the youth group. There are kids in public, private, and homeschool. 
And so you see different levels of protection that take place. I mean, I would say uh, public school kids generally are exposed to sexual things much earlier and dating much earlier. And, uh, and it makes sense because everybody in the public school, lot, there's a wide range, right, of belief systems. And so um, because of that, they're just exposed to things earlier. And so you need to have those conversations earlier, whether it's about sex, whether it's about dating, all of those things need to happen probably pretty early, at least by seventh grade, okay? Yeah. I, I've seen a lot of PCS kids and homeschool kids that are sheltered much farther beyond that. But a lot of that depends on what media you consume at home. Again, you know, I've seen parents where they, their kids watch R-rated movies when they're very young. I've seen parents who won't let their kids watch R-rated movies when they're 18. So you see there's a wide range. Uh, now, I will say all kids are probably exposed to more than you think, you know, that they, they have more knowledge usually than what you think they do. Um, just because of their friends. Yeah, you don't know everything they're talking about. Yes. Well, I can give you the, the quick answer, though, is remember how I talked about, because I, I, I don't know how many times I've been to things where they're like, oh, lock down the phone. You know, you want every text printed on your own phone and, you know, and all this. And you can go that route and just become the best spy ever for your kids' lives and try to do that. I will tell you, they will get around. They're so savvy. They can get through anything that you set up if they're determined to. But what I mean by that is, okay, so you can go that route or you can pursue your child's heart. That is the the key thing, that if you are pursuing your child's heart, then no matter what they're exposed to, and that's that's what I feel like all of this, that we, everything, this is where I come from, guys, with everything that I teach in Parent U, that Cammie and I come from, is equipping them. So if you've equipped your child that no matter what their friend says or wants to expose them to or whatever, they're equipped to move into that, okay? Like that's the goal, right? That you know them enough that if Bob, you know, Bobby comes over and he's like, hey, your parents are gone, let's get out your iPad, that your son would be like, no, you know. It's gone, but I don't know that it's turned up. Um, so like being a safe place for your, not only your child, but your child's friend, and that takes relationship building, and that takes being present, and that takes pursuing them outside of those conversations. And it's a lot of energy and effort. And so you have to really be aware of the opportunity and aware of, you know, if they want to engage with you in those conversations. I mean, I've had, Tears has had people over that would, are terrified of me because I'm so scary, you know, and would never talk to me about any of this stuff. Um, And then she has had friends over that want me to take them to coffee one-on-one and have these conversations. So I think a lot of it depends on them. And what, the, what opportunities the Lord gives you, is that, I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah. It's, there isn't a prescribed way necessarily. Now it takes a lot of prayer. <laughs> a lot of, uh, in the moment, you know. Are you talking about like a covenant phone call kind of thing? Or no, just engaging. You're just talking about engaging. Yeah. Give me, give me an example. Well, again, equipping her how to, how to navigate that to me, is the, the most important thing, right? How, what, does she know who she is? Does she know what she believes? But also not be shocked, right? Because we ultimately want to teach our kids to be missional in that environment. To be like, oh, that's sad that that's the first thing you would think about when you ask me a question like that. I'd like to know who you are. Okay, that would have been a good comeback, right? Okay, or something like that. And that would have like been that. what an 18 or 24-year-old would have been No, like, probably not. <laughs> that's what a 49-year-old would say, okay? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, And we had a similar situation happen with Jace. He went to the 
mall with his cousins, and some girl comes up and goes, your pants are so shiny, I can see myself in them. And he was just like, he's like 15, and he's like, thank uh, you. He was like 13, I think. You know, like, he's like, I yeah, don't even know what to say. And he was like mortified, died a thousand times, you know, which maybe I shouldn't have shared that. But anyway, um, you know, he, it, it is a... There's going to be, that's going to happen. And I guess part of it is how do we react to that? Like if we do make them into mud stains, um, that's, yeah, it could. <laughs> well, and believe me, I'm the mama of Jay, so I'm like, those girls are too aggressive. Like, um, I can totally relate. But we do want, I think when we are less shocked and go, yeah, that's probably what they're thinking. And let's engage in this and let's talk about it. I think that promotes the conversation versus, oh, my gosh, he said what? And you did what? You know, I think that makes them feel like it's a bigger deal and less open to conversation. So um, I see. So uh, anyway, I'm Cammy. I'm Jeff's wife. And I always come. I feel like I know all of y'all, so I don't feel like I have to say this every time. But sometimes there's somebody new here, and I always want to say, Jeff talks about it in kind of the this is the way we want it. And then I always want to get up and say, and this is how it looks like in our house. And it may not look like that at all some days. Um, so I think this whole topic of dating is really hard. Do you guys think it is? Like, I, I see these two extremes. I see on one hand, you've got those kids that are so excited about dating and they're just quick to get into mischief. And they, you know, you're kind of wanting to put the hold on it. And then you've got these other kids who are terrified of dating and they think it's kind of like the boogeyman underneath their bed that they're, that they're fascinated with, but they're terrified of, you know? And so in those two extremes, you kind of have to put your own story. And my story is full of um, my own foolishness and God's redemption. And that can make it really hard for me to share with my kids on what a godly biblical approach is because seeing God's redemption so clearly in my story, I don't want to share that in a way that gives them license, right? Like, I don't want them to think, oh, well, God will just redeem this bad decision, you know? So I've decided just to arrange all my children's marriages. Anybody want to join me in that? (laughs) I mean, right? It just seems like I was talking to a friend who's from India, and that's what she did. And I was like, that would be so much easier. But then I have to realize that my mother never would have arranged that I marry Jeff. So that might not be the best way either. Um, Neither of my teens have dated much. um, But I have sat across from hundreds of girls, young girls. We've been in ministry for over 20 years. And I have sat across from hundreds of girls who were Twitter-pated. We always called it Twitter-pated because have you all seen Bambi and all the animals in the spring get Twitter-pated? I love that for because it's so, you know, the little hearts are coming out of their eyes when they look at each other. And so it's kind of a visual. But I've sat across from hundreds of girls that were Twitter-pated, and they were sure he's the one. And most I've had to console when they found out he wasn't the one. But there were a few that he was the one. And so the big question is, how do you know the difference? Tonight, Jeff and I are going to talk to the teens of Watershed about our own story. And part of that is knowing, recognizing that the one should be one that points you to Jesus and points you to being a better person. Which as I was thinking about what I was going to say you know, Jeff's talk about being self-focused, that is a little self-focused, but maybe that's a good bridge between that thought and then the thought that 
thinking about what's best for the other person. You know, not only do you want somebody that brings out the best in you, but you want to bring out the best in them. And that would be kind of that transition. Um, I think the process of dating is fraught with pitfalls. And I think there are lots of questions. Um, How do you know the person is actually who they say they are? That's a great question. Because haven't you known lots of people who got married and the person that they married was different than the one they dated? That's a tragedy. How do you know the difference between someone who actually loves God with their whole heart and soul and one who just gives lip service to their faith? That happens a lot, too, in the South, for sure. And how do you pick a partner for life when your future is completely unknown to you? It's a very hard thing. I'm so glad I dated when I was young and foolish. And I didn't, (laughs) and I'd say that because I was brave and courageous. And I think it would be very hard at 44, how old am I? 44, to be as courageous in it. Um, On one hand, I would like to impart my lifetime of experience to my teens so they can be discerning and know all the things that I know and be able to, to evaluate and judge circumstances. But then on the other hand, would that just paralyze them <laughs> to know all that I know? Um, recently, Jeff and I watched a movie, and the question that was asked in that movie is, if you knew your whole life and you knew what sorrow would come, would you live it completely differently? Could you live it completely differently? And in the storyline of the movie, the girl chose to bravely go in and, and choose to live her life knowing that love would be followed by sorrow. And watching the movie, of course, the movie is not spiritual at all. It doesn't have God in it, which is always such a grief to me. I always want to go, if you prayed about this, it could go better, (laughs) you know, in the movie. Because God is a redeemer. But um, they don't ever show that part in the movie. So um, at first I was thinking, well, you know, if I knew that having a child would lead to heartbreak or that marriage would end in this grief, would I be brave enough to do it? And I thought about Jesus, you know, and that he walked in the world knowing the sorrow at the end of his life would be. Um, Love compelled him to the cross. And um, part of that was because he could see beyond it. And I think we can be really tied up in this kind of horizontal temporary view of dating. And we miss the fact that we all have arranged marriages. They're just arranged in heaven, and we have to seek the Lord to find out who that's with, and so do our kids. Dating is very temporary. The joy and sorrow it brings is fleeting. It can definitely leave scars, but I think part of our job as parents is to give them eyes to see beyond the now. He may be the one, but he might not be, and God knows Part of protecting our hearts and pursuing purity involves keeping all of our relationships submitted to him. And that's part of what we have to model for them as parents. Um, My parents (laughs) didn't think Jeff was the one until we'd been married about 10 years. (laughs) God may not tell me the plan he has for each of my children, whether it be to get married or not to get married. He 
might leave me out of that equation entirely. I mean, I have a friend whose son moved to the mission field to um, South Korea, and he got married to somebody she's never even met and are having their first baby. And he's pursuing the Lord, and she can rejoice because she knows that he's seeking God in it. And I think that's part of what we have to do is our faith as parents needs to grow because there's so much we don't know. Um, We have to point our kids to seek the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and he will direct our steps. The good news is Jesus can redeem their dating, and he can heal their broken hearts, and he can direct their foolish footsteps. If we're honest, we don't want him to have to, right? I mean, that's the reality. But hard experiences in dating may be the only way our children realize that they need a Savior, not just eternally, but in every moment of every day. And sometimes it's in those heartbreaks. I know for me, the heartbreak of my high school boyfriend is what led me to the Lord and what made me commit to not taking a step in dating that was apart from him. And so it completely changed where I was going. Now, I don't want that for my kids, but it's God's ability to redeem. And that I do want my kids to know. So sometimes I have to get out of the way for that. Um, So anyway, let's pray together. Dear Lord, we just come before you, and we confess our fears to you. Lord, we want to protect our kids from heartbreak and from compromising their purity and from all the perils that are out there in the world. And I just pray for your mercy. I pray for your mercy in the lives of each of our children, that they would see their completion in you and that they would not look to other people to meet their needs. But I will tell you, Lord, that I know in their brokenness they're likely to. And I pray that you would protect them from their own foolishness. And that when you allow their foolishness to bring consequences, that you would redeem them. And that our children would know you as Lord and Savior, not just eternally, but of their dating as well as their day-to-day relationships. And so I just lift up to you each parent here today. And I pray that we would begin now to pray for our children for their spouses or for their singleness, that they would be, that they would have hearts after your own heart and that you would guide and protect them. And Lord, grow our faith as we struggle to believe that is truly true when sometimes we doubt. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Cammie. Hey, don't worry either. My mom probably wouldn't let me marry Jeff either. (laughs) So it's, it's a common thing in the Hey, just a few quick announcements so that y'all know what's going on. We have, so Rush Servant Team is over. If your child was wanting to be a part of the servant team, well, you should have listened, already signed them up. But the good news is you can still go as a Rush attender, Rush Conference. If you don't know, that is a conference for students, by students. So all the students, we train them, they put on the conference. If you've never seen it, sneak in one night. It's amazing. But the earlier you sign up, the cheaper it is. The longer you wait the more we tax you, all right? So just like the rest of America. So so sign them up ASAP. Also, our Lifestyle Spring Retreat, this is one of my favorite retreats. We've got an amazing worship band and some of the guys who wrote Death Was Arrested and uh, 
tours with Phil Wickham and Mercy Me, and I mean, just amazing lineup of worship guys, speakers, one of our sister churches, the pastor, Ryan Johnson. It's just, it's an awesome, awesome weekend at Woodlands Camp. Uh, it's one of the best camps around, so sign them up for that. That's coming up March 17th, I believe. Then also South Africa. That deadline is coming up Tuesday, I believe, is the 28th. So sign them up. This is going to be an amazing missions trip to South Africa. It's kind of scary sometimes. You get a little bit of sticker shock, but we equip them, show them how to raise the money, all that good stuff. Just, you know, pay your deposit soon. Don't tie this morning. I'm just kidding. Don't don't do that because I, I won't be here at Next Parent U. Yeah, and, and my boss's boss is among us, so I, total kidding. And it, cut the podcast part of this, this part, Mark. Um, But I believe, is that all the announcements, Mark? All right, hey, y'all have a great time in worship. We love y'all. See you next time.